Praise the name of Jesus. Last week we began a series entitled, Why Are We Here? Why are we here? Big question, very important question. We need to, we, we discussed last week and I shared with you that the church is in need of realignment. Say the church, especially in the United States of America, say it, is in need of realignment. Amen. We must, church, we must become focused on the things or be refocused on the things of God, meaning that we need to become totally consumed and concerned with the will of God and the kingdom of God being manifested in and through our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian, that you are consumed, that you are concerned with one thing, and that is that you are pleasing God in everything that you're doing, that you are pleasing him, that his kingdom is manifesting through you in everything that you do. And those are some big, you know, orders for us to fill on our own, but isn't it awesome that we have the Holy Ghost, amen? amen. Say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. for your Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit makes it possible. All of this word that we hear is impossible in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own minds. But God makes it possible for us through his word. Last week as we began to discuss the church and, and the condition of the church, I began to quote an article from um, Willow Creek. And it was some confessions that they had made. And I want to make sure that I take a moment to clarify something because I know, you know, because we're, 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 we're free thinkers here. Amen. And, 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 and immediately, you know, while we are sitting down hearing Bishop read this, you know, or, or give these quotes, the question may have popped up in your mind, well, if they're so wrong, why are we using their curriculum? <laughs> I, know, I, I know someone thought that, amen, amen. Not by osmosis, but because I got an anonymous tip, amen, hallelujah, glory to God. And so, you know, and, and when I say anonymous, the, I know who told me, but I don't know who told them. And it really doesn't matter because I just want to let you know there is something that I want to say. Because Willow Creek, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? I never said that they weren't Christian. I said that their ways of doing things were incorrect. But I want to explain something to you because I do want to give honor where honor is due. In my second year of Bible college, I have to, you, you have to read a certain amount of books and do book reports. One of those book reports happened to be on the book Becoming a Contagious Christian. And when I read this book, I'd been a Christian for probably like six years or something, something like that. And when I read the book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, I couldn't put the book down because I was like, my goodness, nobody has ever taken the time to teach me evangelism like this, to teach me how to be in the midst of unbelievers and not be so holy that I couldn't have a conversation with them. Come on, somebody. Not be so self-righteous that I couldn't communicate with them about something and be able to lead them to Christ. And so when I read the book, I said, man, they have a curriculum. I want to use this curriculum. And as I said last week, I also began to look at the, the new curriculum and the new curriculum they do a much better job. And here's the reality. The reality is what becoming a contagious Christian does for us, and I've communicated this, Pastor Chad and I have talked plenty of times, but what it does for us is it teaches you how you can be the most effective at winning people to Christ every day. Amen? And so my challenge to you is to go on ahead and sit in, if you haven't, you, you, you know, you may have never sat in through one of our classes on evangelism and becoming a contagious Christian. By the way, it's not one class, it is six. Amen? Because, you know, everybody will come to one class, but, you know, it's, it's more than one class. Glory to God. And so the fact of the matter is, if you want to sit in and learn, and then don't just learn the principles, apply them. Amen, somebody? 
And I guarantee you that if you will apply these principles, that you will become what? An effective witness to people who don't know Jesus. That's the reason why we do it. And so what I want to say is that not everything is bad over there. They had some revelation. They never taught. They, they know how to pack them in. Amen, somebody? They know how to bring people in. That wasn't the question. I never even said they didn't have Christians over there. What I said was their words were that they have noticed that as they have studied out all of their things and did all of their research, that the things that they have put their most money into have done very little to make mature disciples. Different church. Because people can come and give their life to Jesus and they got to become disciples. Amen. That should be the goal of every Christian. And what they're saying is that they have not done that job the most effectively. And so please don't misinterpret what I was saying. I'm communicating because they are one of the largest voices. They are one of the, the, the you know, the largest, um, you know, churches that is in the United States of America. And they have influenced the body of Christ like no other church. But the truth of the matter is, what I do believe is that this brother, um, Bill Hybels, who is the senior pastor of that church, I believe in my heart of hearts that this man has a heart for souls like nobody else. Because when you watch him in one of the videos that he was on in the first class, he is crying as he is talking about souls. He is the one who is breaking this down. And so don't get it twisted. His desire and their desire have always been what? To win as many people as possible. What they've learned is that their ways that don't exactly align with the scriptures and discipleship, amen, need help. Amen, somebody? So moving on from there, as children of God, we have a great responsibility to ensure that we do not lose our saltiness, that our light does not grow dim, and that our character continues to reflect Christ more and more. In other words, we must be devoted to a living and growing relationship with Christ. Very important that we understand something, that all of the other activities and all of the other things that we do, if we are not doing all of those things coming from an intimate, living, growing relationship with Christ, it is nothing. That is the reason last week I talked about the fact that there are a whole lot of folks who are, you know, they don't, they don't, get, they, they don't get into their word daily, they don't get into their word weekly, and that tells me that you must be anorexic spiritually if you are even alive. I threw that in there this week if you're even alive. Glory to God. I didn't say that last week. Hallelujah. But the truth of the matter is, if you are not eating, if you're eating once a month, you, you, you barely living. Hello, somebody. You are barely living. And so it is the same thing for our spirit. We have got to make sure that we are not, and, and also that we're not just reading the word to read the word, but that we are meditating, that we are getting into the scriptures and letting the scriptures get into us, that we are coming to know our Savior in that intimate time, not just of reading the Bible or meditating upon the scriptures, but also in prayer, in worship, in intercession, that we are coming to know him better. That is vital, church, that we are growing in our relationship with him because that will enable us to become what God has called us to be. The title of the message today is The True Signs of Christianity. The True Signs of Christianity. You'll notice last week we talked about Jesus' first disciples that came following him. John the Baptist was walking, watching Jesus walk, and when he watched Jesus walk, he said very clearly, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those two disciples who were John and Andrew, immediately they began to follow Jesus. As they were following Jesus, Jesus turns around and noticed them following him, and he says, What is it you're seeking? Why, why are you following me? You, 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 you want to hang out with me for the day? Because if that's it, just go on ahead and back. Go hang out with John. You didn't learn what you need to learn. Hello, somebody. He was communicating to them, make, state your purpose. And they asked him, they said, where are you dwelling? And he said, come on and see. I'm going to show you where I'm dwelling. There's room for you if you want to be here. Amen. 
There's room for you if you want to be here. And so it's the same thing with Jesus today. He says, there's room for you at the cross, amen? There's room for you to be forgiven of your sins. There is room for you to begin a relationship. There's room for you to start walking with me according to my ways. He's calling his people continually, but he is also putting standards out there that need to be aligned with. And so the what I want to talk about this week and probably next week are the true signs of Christianity because the marks and signs of Christianity must follow us, church. The marks and signs of Christianity must follow us. I was, I was so, so encouraged the other day because I was talking to a mother in the church, um, Sister Elizabeth. I was speaking to her, and she was telling me about her son and how he's, you know, this kid is a devoted Christian, you know, from what I have seen and, you know, the fruit that I've seen in his life. He's devoted to God. He has a relationship with God. And she was telling me about his first year in high school. And he was saying how hard it was to be a Christian in his first year in high school. He was talking about how he would wear his Jesus shirts and people would pick fun at him, you know, because not only are you a freshman, but you're a Christian. It's tough enough to be a freshman in high school, glory to God. But go from being a freshman to being a Christian as well. And so now he's in this atmosphere. And, you know, it's like, it's like the scripture says. Jesus said, I send you out as sheeps among what? Wolves. Hello, somebody. And so, young people, we feel your pain. We know that you're among wolves. But the reality is, this young man, he said he was carrying his Bible, bringing it to school with him every day. He would go sit by himself in, 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 in a place to eat lunch just so that way he wouldn't be bothered so he could have his time to read the Word of God. You know what he was doing? He was taking a stand for Jesus. Christ church he was going through you know we we talk about we don't have persecution you know why we don't have persecution because we ain't standing up for Jesus y'all ain't saying nothing we're not if we're standing up for Jesus trust me folks are going to talk to us we're standing up for Jesus people are going to disagree with us we're standing up for Jesus and, and I don't mean being a hypocrite judgmental no I'm just talking about really standing up for Christ really believing what you believe really standing for who he is people are going to talk about you they're going to but you know what they're also going to do when they run into trouble guess who they're coming to they're coming to the same one they've been talking about, the same one they've been making fun of. They're coming to that one. Listen, you know, my mom got cancer. Guess who they're coming to? Please, please pray. Right. You know why? Because they know that you're a man or a woman of God. Very important. You know, my wife is going through this. Do you know who they're coming to? They're coming to you, but not if you're not living for Jesus. So we have got to be those people. Why is that important, church? It's important because you know what the fact is? The fact of the matter is we are the only Bible some people will ever read. Did you hear what I just said? We are the only Bible some people will ever read. So hopefully your Bible doesn't have a bunch of bleeps in it. Hopefully your version doesn't have a bunch of little, you know, exclamation point and, you know, circle and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, hopefully your version of the Bible is, is a good paraphrase of the full counsel of God. Amen. Hopefully your lifestyle communicates to all of those who are looking at you and saying, this is a true Christian. This one is really committed to God. This is someone that, you know what, I may be talking about him today, but there's going to be a day that I'm going to come to him the same way Nicodemus did. Hello, somebody. Nicodemus, they were, they were rejecting him and saying all kinds of stuff. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was, he was bound by, but he could, at night in secret said, come here, teacher, I know that you're a teacher come from God. Because he got a revelation, church. And it is important that we realize that because we are the only Bible some folks will ever read. We are the only testimony that some people will ever see. You know why? Because even though they see us, even though we communicate, some people are never going to give their life to Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? That doesn't mean you stop reflecting Christ. That doesn't mean you stop sharing Christ. There are some people who will never bow their knees and bow their hearts. And the reality is that there are some people who will spend eternity in hell. There are some people who will spend eternity separated from God. And that is a sad reality, but it is the truth. But still in all, it doesn't mean that we stop being the witnesses, that we stop carrying around the signs of Christianity. Whenever we think of signs of Christianity, usually we'll drive down 
down the road and we see this fish on the back of cars. And the way the tradition says, it says that the way that that came about was because during the time of intense persecution, what would happen was people who were Christians would meet someone and they didn't know if they were Christian or not. So what they would do is they would draw this ark, one side of the fish. And if the other person was a Christian, you know what they would do? They would draw the bottom of the fish, and that's how they knew they were Christian without saying anything. And if they weren't a Christian, they would look at that thing in the ground and be like, well, what is that? They didn't know what it was. And so reality is a lot of times people say, well, that's a sign of Christianity. But church, I want to tell you one of the true signs of Christianity, it is the cross. Hear me. The question that I asked in this series, and keep it in your mind, why are we here? Why? We're not here because of a fish. We were fish, and he was fishing for men. Amen, somebody? But the truth of the matter is, we are here because of the cross. Because if there is no cross, there is no reconciliation. What is reconciliation? There is no coming back together in a relationship with God. And so it is vitally important that we understand that. The disciples of Jesus are having a conversation with him here in this text. And in the text, Jesus is walking down the road with them. And the way that it's communicated in the Greek is that they're walking down the road and he's asking them, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say Elijah. And then he says, who do men say that I am? Some say the prophets. And who do men say that I am? That he continued to ask him this question, that it was a continual conversation that as they're walking down the road, he's asking them, what is it? Who do men say that I am? And so as Jesus is communicating that, he comes to the pivotal question, the most important question of all. Okay, I've heard what everybody else says about me now you tell me what do you say who do you say that I am because the most important question for everybody in this place is not what I say about Jesus not what your mom said about Jesus not what your husband or wife says about Jesus not what your kids say about Jesus it is what you say about Jesus and the apostle Peter true to character he's the first one opens his mouth and he says you are the Christ you are the one that we've been waiting for and he gets he gets a pat on the back he gets an attaboy hello somebody you're doing a great job, son. You are connected with the Father because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, and your name is Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Mm -hmm. Give me a little organ up in here, glory to God. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Listen, 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 listen. That might be a little bit high for me today because you know my voice, but anyway, anyway, anyway. We'll work that out later on. But, but, but listen... He gets this revelation from the Father. At that moment, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Crazy, right? You would figure Jesus asking this question because now that he wants them to share this with everyone. No, because if they would have went out there sharing this about Jesus with everyone, then you know what would have happened? There would have been the death of Christ would have been a lot earlier because his whole gospel would have spread faster and his time was not yet. He just wanted to make sure that the 12 got the revelation. He wanted to make sure that the ones that were going to be with him for the remainder of his ministry, and this question probably happened around the, uh, around the middle time of his ministry, so about a year and a half into this, probably around there, and all the gospel is found in the middle, so we assume it that way. You know, around the middle there, so they've been with him for a while, because you remember in the beginning, you know, Nathaniel, remember Nathaniel, because everybody thinks Peter was the first person ever declared Jesus as the Christ, but Nathaniel was the first one. He said to him, he said, truly you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah. He said they had found something. There was something these people knew. They knew that they were communicating this. When Andrew went out and got his brother, he was like, listen, we found the Messiah. And so it, it, it's something that we understand that this is what was there. They understood that. But, they, but Jesus wanted to make sure it was clear because of the next part of his teaching. See, and that's the exciting part of the story. But then the next part of the story comes in. They get this revelation. Verse 31, look at it with me. <clears throat> and it says... And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And it says here that he spoke these things openly, meaning that he made it plain, he made it crystal clear unto them that what? That he was going to suffer. That he was going to be rejected. That he was going to be killed. And then resurrection. Why are we here, church? Stick with me on the question. Why are we here? He communicates to them. Listen, you got the revelation. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, they anointed kings. They anointed priests. They anointed prophets. He was all of the above. He was the king they were waiting for. He was the priest they were waiting for. He was the prophet they were waiting for. He was the deliverer they were waiting for. Clearly. He tells them, I have to suffer. I have to be rejected. I have to be killed, and then I'll be resurrected. He makes it plain to them, and all of a sudden, Peter, again, true to character, you know, he does it respectfully, pulls him to the side. You crazy. <laughs> Say you're the son of God. You are the Messiah. How, how, how is it that you? No, never. Now I want you to understand. Hold on. Stand there, Jesus. Stand right here, Jesus. Don't, 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 don't turn around yet. Don't, don't rebuke me yet, all right? Don't rebuke me yet. I need to paint this picture. He was ready to rebuke. He was like, hold on, hold on. I want you to understand something. You can write this down. The book of Matthew chapter 16 gives us a better picture of this rebuke of Peter. It wasn't a disrespect. It wasn't a disrespect. We got kind of crazy noises today. Just jumping through our speakers. Glory to God. All right. Hallelujah. Listen now. Peter wasn't disrespecting Jesus. That isn't what it was. When you look at Matthew chapter 16, he's communicating and he says, God have mercy. This is what he's saying. He's saying, God have mercy. Never that for you. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting to come. Never should you suffer. You're, gonna, you're, you're the one that brings the kingdom. You're the one that is going to destroy and deliver us from captivity. He wasn't rebuking him in a disrespectful manner. He had a heart. He loved Jesus with everything that was within him. And he said there is no way that you can have to suffer. You're the perfect lamb. You're the lamb. Why, why are you going to suffer? So it wasn't a disrespectful rebuke like we try to think it, like, you know, Peter just thought he was all that. No, he was like, never. It can never be that. He, the respect is shown that he didn't just jump up in the middle of everyone and say, man, you're crazy. No, he pulled him to the side. But the problem was the disciples knew Peter. So you know what they're doing? What we all do when we want to be up in a conversation that we shouldn't be in. You know, we A, B, and we want to be just see our way in instead of seeing our way out. Hello, somebody. Right? Want to be all up in the mix, the Kool-Aid going on. Hello, somebody. I know, I know how it is. But what happened was, while Peter is over here communicating, Jesus is hearing what he's saying. And then Jesus turns, he looks at his disciples, and then he looks to them, and then he rebukes Peter. You can never see Jesus. Don't rebuke me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He looks at his disciples. He looks at them, and he rebukes, he, he rebukes, he rebukes Peter. He says to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Believe in the book of Matthew as well is when it, it's in one of the synoptic gospels where he communicates. He said, because you are a stumbling block to me. This is why he's rebuking him. 
because I have to undergo some things. I have to go through some stuff. And you're trying to give me glory, hear me now, prior to me being glorified by my father. Did you hear me? You are trying to hinder me from doing what I have to do in order to get to the third day. Because if I don't suffer, if I'm not rejected, if I'm not crucified, I never get to resurrection. You are a stumbling block. You are a rock of offense to me. And can I tell you something today, church? You got to understand this. The, the, one of the main things for us is that we need to start rebuking those voices and those people who say you've paid enough of a price already. Who say you've done enough already. Listen, I don't care if it's your husband. I don't care if it's your wife. I don't care if it's your kids. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about for Jesus. Say for Jesus. We need to stop letting those voices make us feel guilty about our devotion to our Savior and to his will. Hello, somebody. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. And most writers, you know, most commentators don't believe that Jesus was calling Peter Satan. He was speaking to the spirit that he was operating in. Because one moment, he was the voice of God and revelation. The next moment, he's a mouthpiece and a vessel of stumbling to Christ. And so he's rebuking the spirit. He's saying that is the wrong spirit. That is the wrong mindset. I have a path that I must take. But it doesn't stop there, church. Because Jesus has to undergo this suffering. Jesus has to undergo this rejection. Jesus has to undergo this death. And then you know what he does? Then he calls the crowd to him. He calls everybody around him. And he says, hold on a second. I done rebuked you. Now let me communicate some things. But before we move on, I want to talk to you today because I said that one of the signs of Christianity is the cross. The cross. I don't think we talk about the cross enough. And so the first question is, repeat this after me. Why did, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And I don't want you to repeat this after me. This is going to be a long one. Say, God is eternal, almighty, creator, and sustainer of life. He is holy. Meaning, not only separated from sin, incapable of sinning, but sin does not dwell in him. And the last part is, his holiness is totally opposite to sin and evil. Therefore, he cannot tolerate it. So why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Because of who God is. God is almighty. He is the creator of all things. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. He is the one whom we owe our lives to. Amen, somebody. And that God is a holy God. Therefore, Jesus had to come. Someone, Somebody had to come because of what? Because God's standards for holiness were violated in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve. You remember Adam and Eve, right? Well, you don't know them personally, but you've read the story. Amen. Great, 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 great grandparents, right? We have the privilege of knowing what they were like, in part. And they were in this Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. There were no issues, no sin. Nothing was wrong in there. Everything was great. There was only one issue in there, and it was this serpent. There was only thing that was wrong with it. And you know what? How do you deal with snakes? You kill it, right? 
I, if, if you got a snake up in your house, listen, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to just straight up let you know, I'm a chicken when it comes to that stuff. You know, they call, I don't know why they call me, they just call me. My, my mother-in-law, Martha, one day, she calls me all frantic. She's like, Jason, come over here, there's a snake. And I'm like, oh, glory to God. I'm like, man, is this like a, you know, is it an anaconda or something? Because she is like ready. I mean, she's going to pass out on me. It was a doggone little snake like this that was like in a, and I'm like, Martha, are you serious? And I got the broom and, you know, swept it out or whatever the case was. But, you know, when you got those larger snakes, right, you know, what do you do? You know, I, I come up in there with, you know, I don't have a machete, but if I was, you know, like a real Puerto Rican, I would have a machete. And, and if, I, if, if I was like the real deal, I would have one of those in my garage sitting there in the back of my car. It would be somewhere around me at all times. It would be within reach. Glory. I'm buying one. I need to be a real Puerto Rican. But here, here's the thing. It make life a lot easier, glory to God. See, see, but but when 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 one of those snakes rises up, oh, you got the machete for him. Hello, somebody. I remember one time, I, one time in my garage. I guess we left the garage door open, and 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 um and and we had this um, you know, and when, when where the garage door is, there's those wood posts on the side, and up on the top, you know, I, I was in the garage and, and something. I just looked back, so when I look back, I see this snake. Oh, you know, like, like tied up, like in this, like you see that little, little lip up there. I mean, like, like how did that snake even get up in there? But he was like up there, like locked in good. And I was like, man, my wife and my daughter could come up in here and, you know, this snake about, I don't know if it was poisonous or whatever. So, you know, I was watching Steve Irwin at the time. And I, and I had that, that, that spirit, you know, I was like, gonna, I, I was going to, you know, talk to the, talk to the snake and be like, hey guys, this guy's a little poisonous, but I was going to pick him up. And I remember I took, I went over there, I got a broom, and I said, all I need is a broom. That's it. Glory to God. Got a broom. When I, I knocked the snake down, the snake came out. Man, <laughs> that snake dropped, and it was like this big. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, that's, that thing's kind of quick. Glory to God. I, and then I'm like thinking, that's why he's on TV and I'm not, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting up near that thing. And so I, I immediately I took the broom, and I was like, I didn't have a machete, so I didn't, have a, I didn't have anything to do. So I swept the thing out of the house, and I got my wife and daughter in the car, and I'm like, running over, glory to God, because I want to make sure this thing. And so they're out there. It's no joke. My wife and daughter are out there in the car. My daughter's looking out. She's like, Mama, you missed it. And my wife will back up. And she ran over like half of the, you know, snakes. You got to, like, run over the head. Hello, somebody. So my wife ran over the snake like 19 times before it was dead. But praise the Lord, it was fine gone amen but the fact of the matter is this this is what's up the thing is I didn't sit there and try to have a conversation with the snake and you know and 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 some people some people believe you know and, and this 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 may be true maybe not I don't know but some people believe that before the fall obviously and I I believe I do believe this I'm not saying this is in your Bible I'm just saying this is just like common sense when I look at the story obviously I mean, just think about this for a moment. If you were walking in your backyard and there was a tree back there, let's say it's a nice, you know, orange tree or something, and a snake is sitting on the tree and says, hey, you, would you turn around and say, what's up? Talk to me. And you, you wouldn't have a comment. You, you would be scared out of your mind. You'd be like, oh, my Lord, Bishop, we got demons up in here. Something is going I mean, there would be something going on, you know, because you, you would just be running, be freaked out, right? Well, Eve didn't even blink. She was like, you know, the snake was like, so did the Lord tell you not to touch that tree over there? And she's like, oh, yeah. He, you know, she broke it down for the snake. Well, he said that we couldn't, you know, touch it. Look, we, we couldn't have nothing to do with it because the moment we did that, we were going to die. So this snake has this conversation. He was the only issue in the garden. Had no power except for the fact that she listened to him. That was it. When she listened to the, I need you to get this. 
The only power the enemy has is the power you give him. Right. Did you hear what I said? The only power the enemy has is the, is, is the power you give him. That's why the apostle Paul says, be angry but sin not and do not give the enemy what? A foothold. Because as long as you are not walking in sin, and it teaches us, the way that we give the enemy a foothold or a place to stand in our lives is when what? When we are walking in sin, disobedience, because what? Sin separates us from God. Sin always separates relationship. Always, always, always destroys. And this is, remember the question that we asked. We said it together. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because God is holy. He's creator of all. He's almighty sustainer of life. We owe him everything. He is holy, meaning there's no sin within him. And so what happens is he creates Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. Everything is looking beautiful, looking wonderful. And they are faced with one temptation. They receive one do not. And in, in, in all of this, they had one commandment. One commandment that was negative, and it was do not eat from this. You can eat from everything else, but don't eat from this. Don't eat from this. And the moment that they ate from that tree, the moment that Adam ate, because see, amazingly, Adam should have just told his wife, I don't want this fruit. God said no, we would have been okay. You think I'm lying? Read the text. The Bible says when he ate, their eyes were open. It wasn't when she ate. When he ate, the book of Romans tells us that it was sin came, the sin came through who? Adam, not Eve. Hello, somebody. So I know we all mad at Eve, and I'm upset with her too. Hello. Because she was the, you know, the, 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 the body of temptation, hello, that came to him. She was like, baby, I got some fruit for us tonight. Hello. This is some, I, I done tasted it. It's good. I'm feeling things I never felt before. Hello, somebody. It awoke, in, it, it, it awoke some stuff inside of her. I'm telling you the reality. So, you know, I did, I'm not saying she said all that. I'm just letting you know that the moment she took that fruit, she said, man, this is good. Why doesn't God want us to have this? God doesn't want us to have this because the moment that you have this knowledge, you become separated from me because now you think things that are, uh, that are against me. Now you will begin to think and act ways that do not bring honor to me. And so she comes to Adam. Adam, there's still everything is good. No one knows they're naked, anything like that. And then she says, here, eat. And what does Adam do? He goes on ahead and he's like, okay, God gave you me. You're my helper, so you're helping me. Like that sound effect, right? Hallelujah. That was good. That was good, right? <laughs> I don't know. It could, have, could have been an apple. Maybe it was crunchy fruit. I don't know, but I, I'm just making it crunchy today. Glory to God. I'm not saying it was an apple. I do not want to say it was an apple. Y'all leave here. Bishop said that it was an apple. I did not say it's an apple, okay? I just made the, a noise that was crunchy. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Maybe it was a pear apple, you know, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, glory to God. Here's what happens, church. He eats. And then their eyes are open. Now they both know they're naked. They start hiding from one another. Why? Sin always affects relationship. Not just between you and God. When you sin against your spouse, what does it do? Separates you. Your child does something wrong, go to the room. After you and the child connected, after the connection, there's separation. Do something, listen now, do something that offends or hurts your child, what do they do? Don't talk to me. They need to get hit. Glory to God. Lay the smack down. Who are you talking to? You ain't talking to me. Glory to God. What's wrong with you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know, I know, I know. I'm abusive. Glory to God. It's all right. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, listen, listen. Sin always creates separation. So what happens? 
There's a separation that takes place between God and man. God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Because, you know, God is cool like that. Hello, somebody. He walks down in the garden looking for his son and his daughter. He's like, where y'all at? Not like God didn't know where they were. Like they playing hide and seek or whatever. No, well, you know. He calls to Adam to say, hey, man, you left your position. That's what God was really saying. He was saying, I feel something missing. You left your position because when I walked out here, we were connected. Where are you at? The connection is gone. The relationship is gone. He wasn't saying, what tree are you behind? That wasn't what he was saying. He's saying there's something has changed between us. And so Adam is over there hiding, man. We're hiding because we're naked. And, you know, and then he goes and, you know, the blame game starts. Because that's the next thing that happens when sin enters the picture. Not only does it create separation, but then you start blaming each other for stuff. Well, if she wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have, if they wouldn't have. Hold on a second. Time out. When do we take responsibility for us? You know what Jesus did? He did that. He took responsibility for us because we wouldn't take it for ourselves. Hear me. And so why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Because he had to take responsibility for what we would have never taken responsibility. Because you know what? We're just too easy on ourselves. Hello, somebody. So man is separated from his God. And how is this price paid? And this is what I want to focus on for a moment here. And I probably won't get past this first point because I really want you to look at the cross with me. And I want you to see how brutal this is because, you know, we just kind of fly by the cross all the time. You know, we just, yeah, Jesus was crucified for us. But what does that really mean? What does crucifixion really look like? What does it look like in the scriptures? You know, this to today is, 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 is the, the, the religious holiday, Palm Sunday. I don't know if you know that. But it's the day that we celebrate in the church, the day of the triumphal or the triumphant entry. It is when Jesus sat on the back of the donkey and the people were throwing palms out in front of him. And they were throwing them there as they were throwing them their clothing and they were saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. In other words, Lord, save us, deliver us. They were crying out. The Pharisees got upset and said, how are you letting these people talk to you like that? And Jesus said, man, if they didn't cry out, the rocks would cry out because the Savior, the Deliverer, the Lamb of God has arrived. He's come to the place to show that I am about to give my life so these people can be saved. And a week later, a week later, the whole picture changed. They're not yelling, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. They're saying, give us Barabbas, the murderer. Give us Barabbas, the rebellion leader. Give us Barabbas, the one who should be going to the cross. Give us him and the perfect one, the innocent one, the one that Pilate said, I find nothing wrong in him. There is no evil in him. He has done nothing. Crucify him. To the degree that when you read the stories, you will find that, that, that Pilate was like overwhelmed. He was, he was saying, man, you know, what, he, he, Jesus, what, what did you do? Jesus wasn't giving him too many answers. He said, are you the, you know, are, are you the king? Are, are you the, the king of Israel? And he's like, it is as you say. He goes out there to these people and he's like, listen, I do not find anything wrong with him. Let me go on ahead and give him a beating and then send him out. Make y'all happy. Oh, but that wasn't, that, that wasn't enough for them. They started yelling louder, crucify him, crucify him. The chief pretend, everybody was coming up on the scene saying, crucify him. Cru he, he, he needs to die because you know what they did. See, this is something that we don't realize either. When we're looking at the text, you will notice something. They came and took Jesus by night. Remember when Jesus said there are 12 hours in the day? 
He said, we need to walk during that time because you know what happened? This, this is exactly how he was betrayed. At night, Judas comes to him. They do a whole, a whole council meeting with him. They do a whole judgment situation with him at night. So when daybreak comes, guess what they say? He's guilty as charged. And you know who said he's guilty? The religious leaders. They couldn't do that during the day because everybody was around him, watching him preach, watching him do miracles. What are you accusing him of? He's done nothing wrong. But what they did was they convinced the people, last night we caught him. Last night we got him. Last night he blasphemed against God. Last night he declared that he was God, that he was the son of God. He declared these things last night. And so the next day, everybody flipped the script on him. Okay. Crucify him. Crucify him. So what does this crucifixion look like? Because this is what Jesus went through for us. It's not just some cute little thing. First thing I want to tell you is that you need to understand that crucifixion was very brutal. It was a painful situation in and of itself. But there were some things that preceded that cross. And that's what I want us to look at right now. Turn with me your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Verse 67 and verse 68. We'll read from verse 64 or from verse 63. And it says, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death death verse 67 says then they spat in his face and beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands saying prophesy to us Christ who is the one who struck you so he's betrayed in the evening by by one of his confidants one of his disciples And then he's there before all of the council members of the religious community who are absolutely horrible because the first thing they do is they're trying to find false witnesses. Well, the ninth commandment is that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so they're leading the people trying to find a false witness against Jesus. And I hope you don't fall asleep on the crucifixion, man, because this is what we're here, why we're here, because of what Jesus did. And so don't just let this go by you and don't just say, oh, I know this and I've been there and I studied this. Listen, let it redo something inside of you. Let it awaken a passion about what Jesus did because that is what Christianity is all about. It is about this cross, church. And for you and I, he wasn't spit in his face because he was bad. He was spit in his face because he was paying a price for us. He was insulted for you and for I. And so he was spit upon, and then he was hit, and then they blindfolded him, and then they began, as they were hitting him, they said, oh, you're so big and bad, and you know so much, and you're God's son. Well, you know what? Tell us who's hitting you. Tell us who's hitting you. Oh, you're the son of God. Oh, you're going to come in the right hand of power. Tell us who's hitting you. You can't even tell us who's hitting you. That's how weak, that's how impotent you are right now to do anything. This is what they're communicating to him, church. So they spit in his face and they do that. Then move on to chapter 27 and verse 26, please.
verse 26, it says this. Then he released Barabbas to be delivered. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, please hear me. When we talk about scourging again, we don't see this big picture of what scourging is. But I want to explain to you what scourging is. Now mind you, he's already been insulted. He's already been spit on. He's already been smacked. He's already been, he's already been taken and, and, you know, done wrong for no reason. Now they release Barabbas. And they take him to scourge him. So let me explain to you what scourging is. And really, really quickly get this picture with me. Because this is all before the cross. This is not even on the cross yet. What they do when they're going to scourge you, they take this, 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 this leather whip. It's got these leather strands. It's usually connected to like a handle, you know, maybe about, a little, about the size of this microphone. And it's got these little um, leather strands. At the end of every strand, there are broken bones at the end or pieces of metal that are there. And what they do is they take the offender and they tie him to a pole. Arms up. You see, you see my jacket right now on the top? You see how tight that is? That's how your skin gets. They tie their hands like that around this pole so they can't move while they're getting beaten. And so the skin is tighter. So you know what happens? Every time I hit you, it's taking flesh. Some people were so good at this scourging thing, at this flogging that they did, that they were able to literally cut down to where you could see kidneys and liver hanging out. This is what your Savior had to go through so you could be here today. So you could sit there and just, you know, fall asleep on him. Oh, I know this. Yeah, I don't think you know this because if you knew this, you wouldn't be taking it lightly. You wouldn't be, and I'm not talking about sleeping on him in here because that's just, you know, you didn't go to sleep last night. I'm talking about sleeping on him out there, not living for him, not living righteously for him. Okay, so he gets, and wait, wait a second, let, 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 let's rewind. Pilate already said, I have found nothing wrong in him. I found nothing evil. They reserve that beating for other people. So he's tied up, wrapped around, and they start whipping him. Whap! And as they're whipping, flesh is being torn. As they're whipping, there's blood all over the place. He's being beaten. And you know what? Some people say he was beaten 39 times. Other people say Romans didn't go by the rules that the Jews went by. And so they said that he was just beaten. I mean, beaten beyond repair, church. Most people died from this beating. But it doesn't end there because we still got to get to the cross. So he's beaten. He's scourged for nothing. He's scourged just because they're going to make, you know, him, you know, they're, they're going to try to make the people feel good about this. Going on and moving forward to verse 28 to verse 31. And it says, and after they scourged him, he was delivered to the, to, to, to the soldiers and they brought the whole garrison of soldiers. A garrison, just so you know, is like 600 people. Like 600 soldiers come up in there and they stripped him. So now he gets beaten. Probably had the bottom part of his garments on. They stripped everything off him that he had, and they go and they do what? They put a scarlet robe on him. Not only do they put the scarlet robe on him because he's a king, right? So we just whooped you. You're bleeding, hurting. We just did that to you. And now we're going to go ahead and start mocking you. So here's what we'll do. we put some scarlet robe on you. And it says, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, hail, king of the Jews. So they take this crown of thorns, right? Twist it up, put it on his head. 
They start bowing. Hail, king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews. You're looking good right now. You're looking all powerful right now. That's what they're communicating to our Savior. They go on from there. Then they spat on him, and they took the rod out of his hand. Because mind you, he's looking like a king, right? A makeshift king. He's got a rod in his hand. They take the rod out of his hand, and what do they do? They smack the crown of thorns down on him so it hits again. Bam! So now those thorns that were there drive into his head. This is for you and me, church. See, we've got to understand this brutality is the wrath of God on sin. This is how much God hates sin, church. Smash the crown of thorns into his head, and then they take him to be crucified. Now, I want you to think about this. After he's gone through that beating that would have taken the life out of most, and then he goes through the mocking, being spit on, being hit again, because it goes on to say that he was hit, not in this one, but if you read one of the other synoptics, it says that he was beaten, and so he was hit by these, these officers. So now you have 600 people around you taking swats at you. These are soldiers. These are not just little skinny men. Hello, somebody. These are the real deal. These are defenders of Rome. So that's what they're doing. This is all pre, this is all pre, we, we haven't even looked at the cross yet. This is the suffering that he went through for us. Why did Jesus have to go through this? Because God is holy. God's standards are holy. You'll notice when you read, it just says this, and this is the reason why I think that we don't understand it. It says that he took his cross, they had somebody help him carry it, and then they crucified him. So they don't give you any, any, any details of this cross and what really happened. But we obviously know that there were some nails that were driven through his hands and his feet because he shows them to Thomas. And that way Thomas can be a believer. So we know that, and we know that that's the way that the cross was taken care of. But here's what happens. After this beating, you know what, ha what he has to do? And he can't do this because he is physically incapable of doing it. He has to carry this cross. You know how much this cross weighs? About 200 pounds. So now he's got to carry the cross. Why does he got to carry the cross? He's got to carry the cross because on the cross there's an inscription that says the king of the Jews. That's what he did wrong. So now he's carrying the cross, all bloodied, all beaten, all messed up. Now he gets to the place of the cross. So what do you think happens here, church? What do you think happens? He gets there and just jumps up on the cross and everything is good? No. He carried the cross. So now what they have to do, lay the cross down on the floor. They put his hands down. So they take one hand and they beat it in. Boom. There's one nail in one hand. Boom. There's another nail in another hand. Boom, boom. Probably through his legs. And these aren't like little sharp, you know, things that they're making so that way it doesn't hurt you. You know, it's not like you're going to the doctor, listen, just breathe deep. No. What? None of that. We want you to feel every bit of this pain. So they drive these through his hands. Now, let me ask you a question. How does that cross stand up? You know how it stands up? There's a hole in the ground that the bottom of this cross has got to fall into. And so after you've gone through this beating after you've had this nail slammed into your arms and hands and legs so that way you can be held on the cross, now we've got to bring you right side up. And you know what they're not doing? They're not holding you as shock absorbers. They're pushing you up into the hole, and as you see the cross going up, you see it drop down and his body jerk. Now, mind you, he's naked at this point. I know that we have crucifixes with something. Now, he's naked, butt naked on this cross, the most humiliating situation. Why did, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because God is holy, church. And so now he gets to hang there. What do you think birds are doing? They're drawn to that, church. 
A lot of people didn't die from the suffocation when they were crucified. A lot of people didn't die because they got there. No, they died because animals ate them. Hello, somebody. This is truth, church. This is what Jesus went through. See, here's, here's what you've got to grasp. The cross is the exact equivalent of our electric chair or our gas chamber today. That's what the cross was. It was reserved for the most vile of, of, of sinners. It was reserved for the worst people. And that's what Jesus went through for you and for me. Hung on that cross, innocent, the first thing out of his mouth. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, have mercy upon them. Father, they're the ones that got me looking like this. They are the ones who have, who have nailed me to this cross for no reason. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He takes care of his mom, deals with all of those things. And there was one little thing that I didn't tell you there, but they offered him something. They offered him sour wine and vinegar. It's myrrh. And you know what it is? It is the, in those times, it is something that takes away the pain. And when they offered it to him and he tasted what it was, he said no. You know why? Because he had to experience every ounce of suffering. He had to, church. He had to experience every bit of the pain. After this is when we have resurrection. But you know what the issue with us? is that we all want to enjoy the resurrection life, but we don't want to go through the price. And we think that the cross was good enough for our Savior, but we ain't got to worry about it. The devil is a liar, church. I heard a preacher, I, I didn't hear him say this. Somebody called me and asked me. Someone was preaching in a church somewhere, and he said that no longer do Christians have to suffer. No longer do Christians have to go through any, anything negative. And I said, where is that in the Bible? They said, Bishop, I don't know, but I, I, just, I just knew it was wrong. And I said, it's absolutely incorrect, church. Listen, we have got to understand, this is what Jesus went through. And he went through it because God is holy. And so my question is today, as I get ready to close this, how are you going to handle the knowledge of the cross now? See, when you think about lying, think about what Jesus did on the cross. When you think about cursing someone out, think about what Jesus did on the cross. And remember that that little curse word, that is what put him there. Remember that that lie is what put him there. When you decide that you're going to look at pornography or you're going to look at a woman or a man lustfully because it goes both ways, hello. When you decide to do, when you're thinking about it, think back to what you heard here today and say, no, nah, man, I, I nailed him to that cross. I'm the one. See, because reality is this, and, and this is the issue, church, is we need to take ownership. We were the ones who spit in his face. Hear me? We were the ones who were slapping him and mocking him. We were the ones who nailed those nails into his hands, into his legs. We were the ones. It was us. Oh, we weren't there physically, but our sins were there. Those were the marks of our sin over his life. And so what are you going to do with that? You're going to act like it's nothing? Act like it's no big deal. I'm good the way that I am. Listen, we need to stop being hypocrites. We need to stop acting like it's okay, church. We need realignment. If you're in here and you're a Christian, man, I hope that God is gripping your heart and causing you to repent and say, man, God, I don't want to play games with you anymore. The price that you paid was a great price. That is why the Bible says you are not your own, but you were bought at a great price. That is the great price. And if you don't know Jesus in this place, what are you going to do with that? 
What are you going to do with what he suffered? He suffered that for one thing, so that way you could be forgiven of your sins. So that way you could have a relationship. Because remember, sin breaks relationship. Sin breaks relationship. And because it breaks relationship, something has to happen to fix that relationship. And that is what Jesus went through. He was the one that fixed the relationship. Without Christ submitting to the cross, after living a perfect life, we could never be forgiven our sins and enjoy the benefits of a living relationship with the creator of all. He died for you. He died for me. So there's one of two choices in this place. Bottom line. One of two choices. For the ones that are saved, we need to take it to another level. We need to really check our hearts before God and stop playing games. And for the one who doesn't know Jesus, are you going to give him your life because he gave his life for you? Are you going to recognize that it was your sins that put him on that cross? Are you going to recognize that it was you that did that to him? And he loves you. That's the reason why he went through it. So that way you could have salvation. Two decisions. You will either walk out of this place ignoring what you just heard, or you will walk out of this place with a repentant heart and saying, God, I want to live for you every day of my life. Everybody stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. Every eye closed and every head bowed. Jesus, that cross. What you went through for us, Lord God, we can never understand. But we recognize, Lord God, that you did it for us. So we're humbled in this place. I know that there is no one perfect in here. Please keep your eyes closed and your head bowed for these next few moments and meditate on what you've heard or what I'm saying. I know that there's no one perfect in this place at all. And so as Christians, we've been called to a higher place. But my question is for you that is in here that does not know Jesus, for you that do not know him, if you do not, if you have not accepted him into your life and accepted the fact that you are a sinner, accepted the fact that he is the only solution to your salvation, if you haven't done that and made a real commitment to follow him, today's your opportunity. 